0: Um, when Jacob and George and I were deciding what to, who got to do which one, um, none of us picked Hosea, and I was like, I'll just take whatever's left, and so I got Hosea, so, um.
1: If I remember it, it was me and George were like, we'll let Emily do (laughs)
0: Hosea.
1: That was pretty much it. So we don't really want to deal with the whole prostitute, (laughs) unfaithful, Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, and then I have a little bit of baggage with this book, so I'll share, and I went back and forth whether or not I wanted to share this very personal story, but I thought, I thought I will. Um, so a lot of you, maybe some of you, know my story, and that is I was married for 10 years and then divorced, and then now I've been remarried for four years and we're expecting a child together. And um, so I've had a lot of a lot of stuff like everyone, you know? And um, when I was going through my divorce, one of my family members called me and said, "Have you read Hosea?" And I didn't know what to say about that. I was like, "Well, I mean, I know the basic story." So I went and I read it, and I was very confused because I thought, what are you saying to me? You know, this, and I'm not gonna go into my whole story about why I was divorced, but there was a lot of brokenness, there was addiction, and there was a um, unwillingness to repair. And I decided to set a boundary and do what I thought was best for my kids. And so it was incredibly difficult for my family member to basically want me to be, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so rereading. So then I never read Hosea until I had to teach it. <laughs> like I read it back then, but then I didn't read it again until I had to teach it. So um, that's my baggage with this book, and was it difficult? It was difficult. Yeah. And yeah. but what I and I'll tell you what I found at the end of it, and I'm glad that I reread it because. I think where the metaphor breaks down and where, and we'll get into all of that, but I'll just go ahead and say at the beginning that I think now what my family member missed <clears throat> was that where the metaphor breaks down is that Hosea was sitting in, in, in the metaphor in God's shoes and God has the healing power Whereas I did not have the healing power. Mm-hmm. I could not change anyone's heart in my situation. And produce the type of reconciliation that needed to happen. And that's a heartbreaking thing when you are just human and you can't control other people. Right? And so, especially when there's <clears throat> children involved and Hosea's children, you know, this whole metaphor it was very very um hard so i'll go ahead and
2: well thanks for sharing that i mean mm-hmm. that's well i can relate to a lot of your story so i really appreciate
0: it and i just wanted to share because i feel like what's the point of being together in small groups like this if mm-hmm. we can't open up a little bit and share yeah. that we're not that we're all human and we go through stuff And loving, precious people in our lives will maybe use the Bible to try to help, and it's really hurtful, actually. And um,
3: And it's a cautionary tale for us who want to be the nice, loving person to be really cautious in what we encourage someone to do rather than just letting them know that I'll be there for you, you know?
0: Right, because I had to, you know, part of my story is overcoming what I was taught growing up that really didn't include boundaries and it really didn't include me um, realizing that I can't save anybody I can pray for them and I can love them but because I'm not God I can't fix anybody and um, so all of that. that <laughs> um, and we'll let The great people at the Bible Project explain Hosea for us.
4: The book of the prophet Hosea. Hosea lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, which he sometimes calls Ephraim or Jacob, about 200 years after they had broken off from southern Judah. Remember the story from 1 Kings. Hosea was called to speak on God's behalf during the reign of one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II. The nation was descending into chaos, and in the year 722, the big bad Assyrian empire swooped in and decimated Israel. Again, see the story in 2 Kings. And Hosea had seen all of this coming. The book is a collection of some 25 years of his preaching and writing. It's almost all poetry, and this whole collection has been designed to have three main sections. Let's just dive in, and you'll see how it works. The opening part tells the story of Hosea's broken marriage to a woman named Gomer, who commits adultery. Now, it's not totally clear whether Gomer slept around with other men before or only after they got married, but they did have three children together and things fell apart. The important point is that God tells Hosea that despite Gomer's unfaithfulness, he is to go find her, to pay off her debts to her lovers, and to commit his love and faithfulness to her once again. And then God says that all of this, the broken and repaired marriage, the children, it's all a prophetic symbol telling the story of God's relationship. So God has been like a faithful husband to Israel. He rescued them out of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai, where he entered into a covenant with them. He asked them to be faithful to him alone. But then he brought Israel into the promised land, and they took all the abundance that he gave them, and they dedicated it to the worship of the Canaanite god Baal. And so God has a legitimate reason. He could end the covenant and divorce Israel, and he thinks about doing so, but instead. He says that he's going to pursue Israel again and renew his covenant with them. And he says why. It's purely because of his own love, compassion, and faithfulness. Hosea then spells out what all this means. He says the consequences for Israel's rebellion will be imminent defeat by other nations and exile. But there's hope for future restoration. One day Israel will once again repent and come back to worship their God. And Hosea says he will place over them a new messianic king from the line of David who will bring God's blessing. And so this opening section introduces all the main ideas of the book. Israel has rebelled, and God's going to bring severe consequences, but God's own covenant love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin. And so in the remaining sections of the book, Hosea's poetry explores these themes in more depth. So there are two collections of his accusations and warnings for Israel, and then each of these is concluded by a very hopeful poem about God's mercy and hope for the future. So chapters 4 through 10, Hosea explores the causes and effects of Israel's unfaithfulness. He says numerous times that Israel lacks all knowledge or understanding of God. The Hebrew word to know, which is Yada, it's more than just intellectual activity. It describes personal, relational knowledge. It's the difference between just knowing about someone and then actually knowing that someone. And God wants Israel to know Him like that in a relationship. He wants them to experience His love for them and become the kind of knowledge that transforms their hearts and lives so that they love Him in return. And so this is why Hosea is constantly exposing the hypocrisy of Israel's worship. He constantly shows how they're breaking the Ten Commandments, how they're allowing grave injustice in their communities, and then they go to their sacred temples and they offer sacrifices to God like everything is just fine. But it's not fine. And not only because of their hypocrisy, but because they're worshiping all of these other gods too. He mentions many times their altars to Baal at the cities of Bethel and Gilgal. And not only have they given their allegiance to other gods, Hosea repeatedly accuses Israel for trusting in their political alliances with Egypt and Assyria. So instead of trusting God to protect them, they want to become like these nations and rely solely on military power. And God says it's all going to come crashing down on their heads, because in not too long, Assyria will turn on them and come to ravage their lands. In this other section of warning, Hosea gives an ancient Israelite history lesson to show how this family has been unfaithful from the beginning. So he alludes to the patriarch Jacob's lying and treachery. Remember Genesis 27 and 28. He alludes to Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. Remember the book of Numbers. He alludes to their appointment of the corrupt king Saul who led the people into sin and disaster. Remember the stories in 1 Samuel. This is all Hosea's way of saying, Some things in this family never change. So what hope does Hosea have? Well, we know from chapter 3 that God's going to do something to save and restore his people. And that's what these two concluding chapters explore. Chapter 11 is beautiful. The poem depicts God as a loving father who raised his son Israel and then shared everything with him. But the son grew up and rebelled and turned on the father, taking advantage of his generosity. And so in this poem, God is emotionally torn apart. One moment he's angry and naturally he says he's going to bring severe consequences, but the next moment he's heartbroken. And then he says that he's moved by his mercy and compassion and he's going to forgive. the son that he loves. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? My heart churns inside of me. All my compassion is aroused. And so while God did allow Israel to be conquered by Assyria, face the consequences, that's not God's final word. There's still hope. And that's what the last chapter is about. Hosea calls Israel to repent and turn back to their God. But he knows that it won't last because it never has before. And God says that one day, He will heal their waywardness and love them freely. God goes on to describe this new healed Israel as a lush tree that will grow deep roots and broad branches and offer shade and fruit to all of the nations. It's an image of God's promise to Abraham, how Israel was to become a blessing to the nations. And God's saying, if that's ever going to happen, it's going to require an act of God's grace and healing power to repair the deep, broken and sinful selfishness of the human heart so that God's people can receive his love and love him in return. This is what God promises to do. Now, after this poem concludes, we find the very last words of the book they are like an appended note. They're likely from the author who collected Hosea's poetry and now wants to speak to you, the reader, for a second. And he says, who is wise and discerning to understand all of this? In other words, Hosea's poems. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So the author wants you to know that Hosea's ancient poetry to northern Israel is not locked in the past. It reveals deep truths about God's character and purposes and human nature. And while God should and does bring his justice on human evil, his ultimate purpose, his heart, is to heal and to save his people. And that's what the book of Hosea is all about.
0: Any thoughts or comments about Bible Project's perspective on Hosea?
2: It's a lot
5: of information. (laughs)
1: It's interesting how, and I think Bible Project really like helps show this, how almost all of these stories, the or all of these was books, the uh oh, sorry, and the
5: word, <laughs> With... nope,
1: okay, mm-hmm. um, almost all of these prophetic books kind of follow the same pattern, where it comes out God is angry and calling out their sin, and then kind of pulled back to mercy, but then angry again, and then like it's almost always the last chapter is kind of this future vision, whether it's the tree or the New Jerusalem or the new city, um, and so a lot of them kind of follow this same pattern which is really interesting. Especially because they're over like 400 years of history that they're all kind of following the same pattern. Yeah, I mean, um,
6: it, it, it just goes to the, falli- uh, the, the, um, the fallibility of man just as a human species, right, and then also specifically because the the Israelites at the time wanted this king, they wanted to be an earthly power, not necessarily a theological or a God-centered people. And I mean, good Lord, we still we're still that way now, right? I mean, we Americans have, have a lot of a lot of luxuries there because it's easier for us to see ourselves as a world power because we, kind of, we are um there not so much, but they still want it. And so I have always wondered about this too. I mean I remember studying this when I was in high school, thank goodness. But I, I still don't get why the you know the prophet has to marry someone to make this point that's still the confusion point for me here why, why why that would be necessary for him to tell this this story yeah. I, I understand the parallels i just
3: don't know why he had to do that yeah, to, to that, make a point right I have
5: that very
2: yeah,
3: yeah i think it's interesting that this is the to my knowledge this is the first time where we even know that the prophet had a family like mm-hmm, yeah. no other time, no other prophet have we really known had a family or um, or that was talked about, and that, and I, I find it reassuring that in this in this parable, parable in this story of of Hosea being asked to do something that it probably didn't make sense to Hosea either. And that, you know, no one likes to be made of, you know, this is the lesson for the entire rest of the nation. You're gonna go through this. And and yet, I think it brings in Emily's point of that, it's not necessarily that Hosea's gonna have, gonna benefit from this. It's more of that we're gonna understand that God could have at any point said, I'm done. You know that that I, but because I have the power to redeem, I'm going to fulfill my original promise. But uh, you know, it's it seems to me that we forget that there is a pattern to our lives, that we are going to make a mistake, and that you know, and so for someone who may struggle with perfectionism and like that that might sound well, what's the point in keep keeping on and keeping doing something when I know I'm just gonna fail to begin with, but in some ways I find comfort the fact that even if I do fail, God is still gonna redeem me. Like even if I do make a mistake, even if I am that person, you know, even if I am Gomer who leaves one more time, that I have a guy that's gonna come and rescue me that one more time. Like that that I find hope in that not to continue doing what I shouldn't do, but the fact that God's always gonna be who God is.
0: And I think, for me, what was striking was that there is the story of the marriage relationship and the the hurtful um, actions of Gomer towards Hosea, and there's also the story in chapter 11 of the rebellious child, Mm and the estrangement there. And so you're basically taking the two most important relationships that a human can have. And it's laid out here as metaphor for as painful as those relationships are when they're broken, that's how painful it is for God when we refuse to repent. And I think, well, I think the miracle of any reconciled relationship is the repentant heart because if you don't have a repentant heart like you were saying what you were describing david is the repentant heart the i even if i mess up i will return i will seek after god and that's a very different posture than i think is described that the Israelites had for a while. And I think that's described as many of us in our relationships have known. Um, there are sometimes the position of, of hearts that it would take a miracle for, for that heart to be softened. Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, I haven't read his name a while. Um, did Gilmer
5: and the son have a impact?
0: You know, it's not clear to me, honestly. I think when I reread it just even this morning when I reread it, um, I think and I'm sorta of skipping to the end, but it wasn't clear to me that there was a repentant heart. There was only the promise that God would heal.
6: It's it's the focus is on the wrong of the in those two relationships that they forgive and come back and want a relationship with the wayward, you know. So Hosea comes to Gomer and says, I I, I want to have you back as my wife. And the father says, I I want to forgive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think we ever know
1: what Gomer and the son. And also the father, And the husband, you know, under the patriarchal system, they have all the power. So it's like, you know, if the rules, if Hosea was the one sleeping around, I don't know if Gomer would, like, have the power to say, I'm leaving you. She would kind of be stuck. And so it's also, like, you have to think about that, that, you know, as it's reflecting God in Israel, that, of course, God is the one with all the power. just like the father and husband had all the social power to, like, determine... Am I just going to kick you out and disown you, or divorce you, or am I actually going to forgive you? Does Gomer
7: come? Is uh, <coughs> she? <clears throat> is she expected back because she's property? Does she? Is she convinced to come back, and then she messes up again? Is it, I, I don't know. That I've read Hosea in years, and I wish I would have read it before so I could have a better uh, comprehension. But in the uh, readings, is it just kind of? That he wants her back, and it's just kind of a given that she goes back. Is there anything about indicating that she it's, was it's, wanting to go back? You know what I mean? The, kind of nar-
0: the narrative is a little ambu- ambiguous. It sort of leaves it to that Gomer is always sort of making the same mistakes over and over. Because see, to me,
7: that, that is, that is, that's me. I mean, even in doing right, are we doing, always doing right for the right reasons? are we doing it for the right inspiration i need god every second you know what i mean i'll die not getting it right but i keep on you know i'm in the, i'm i'm working it i'm working it i'm working it i'm i'm reaching i'm trying oh, oh get back up get back up you know what i mean so it's every i need the every hour every second you know what i mean and and god's grace even in my best efforts I'll blow it. I'll be uh, I'll, Peter. Got out on the water and, and was able to do it for a minute, and still didn't believe he was doing what he was doing, and he blew it. You know what I mean? And so that to me is kind of a, a lesson too. There wouldn't be there wouldn't be a time that she got it right. She never got it right. We never get it right. You know what I mean? We never. Okay, Jesus, we got this. You know what I mean? We always need Jesus. You know, so maybe that's a lesson in there too.
0: So, um, some of this is just the history behind it. If you're interested, um, Hosea was probably written 760 to 720 B.C. Um, almost the whole thing is poetry. So even though there's 14 chapters, I think most of it, it, it goes by pretty fast, even though it's not just three pages, like, or one page or like something, <laughs> but, um, And we've sort of already gone through what the metaphor is. So I just picked out some of the verses that stuck out to me. Um, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord is a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beast of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. And to me, this verse points to the orientation of the Israelites' heart, where they're not, they're not saying, I need you every hour. They are completely... Not acknowledging God at all, and that is a very different orientation than I'm messing up every day and yet I'm still trying to find God. That's very different.
2: Hey, Amy. yeah. What, one thing I was thinking about this was I, I feel like we have to always remember this is the Old Testament,
5: mm-hmm.
2: so and it's not the New. And it, it, it seems like a lot of the Old Testament piece. Reiterating how we fall short, how we fall short, it's really just a to me, it just re it emphasizes the need for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that is, and even if our attitudes, some you know, we all I think change, and we aren't aware of what we're doing wrong, or I mean, it's just we just mess up, mm-hmm. and we might have a bad attitude, good attitude you know.
5: mm-hmm.
2: but it does open up, that's why we, that's why there was another, yeah, that's why there was a Messiah. Mm-hmm. Th- to me, that's comfortable.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do find it interesting that they at least make some allusion to the fact that our actions affect the earth. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, no, which, is, cool. which is really, I mean, it's convicting for me I don't always like to admit that but like because it's not just how we treat the earth but also how we treat our fellow man that can affect the earth that are you know if we're so focused on ourselves then it can have impact through everything that we love. I love that you
0: brought that point up um, because I think it's important to note that when when we mess up no matter how hard we're trying, there are consequences. Collateral yeah. mm-hmm. damage. And and that's not I don't want anybody to hear me saying I'm perfect or I'm not like I'm right here in this like I try every day and I mess up every day. And I think what the what the prophets do for us is to remind us that there's consequences. Even even with Jesus, even with our you know, I'm so thankful I live in the post-New Testament. I'm very thankful for that, especially as a female. But um, I really, I, I really, you know, that collateral damage is there. You know, the collateral damage of our choices every day on our friends and our family and our children and our parents, it's all there. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, Jesus
3: was even aware of the collateral damage mm-hmm. when he was on the cross, when he made sure that his mom was going to be taken care of.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, that's a very practical understanding of that he understood that what was occurring to him, while it had great repercussions and great things for us going forward, was going to have a very practical implication of his mom was not going to have anyone to take to take care of him right. or take care of her. So, absolutely. They were human, just day to day.
5: They had needs.
7: They were just, how was she, where was she going to stay? You know, yeah, that's
0: right. Um, Skipping ahead, when Ephraim Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help, but he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, Like a great lion to Judah, I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. This is very dark, y'all. Like, because this is talking about those, you know, when we seek other sources of healing or numbing or trying to find other other ways to fix ourselves or others, Um, there's consequences for that. And God will wait for us to seek God's face. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I need those consequences for me to get a jolt back to seek God's face. Sometimes I need those consequences, those repercussions, the collateral damage—to get my attention and to say, God, I need you. I need to come back to you. It's—it's
3: it's the uh, reminder that confession is not enough. You need the repentance as well. Yes. And so, I mean, because clearly both Ephraim and Judah acknowledge their suffering, mm-hmm. but they did not. They—they they went to an idol, basically, to heal them.
0: They went to politics.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. a, a very powerful an idol with a huge army. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest army in the world at the time.
2: Right. Does Ephraim represent Israel? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Northern Kingdom.
6: It was the capital city.
2: Okay. It was also one of the sons of the twelve tribes. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was.
0: Woe to them! This is give me head to chapter 7 because they have strayed from me destruction to them because they have rebelled against me I long to redeem mm-hmm. them but they speak about me falsely they do not cry out to me from their hearts but wail on their beds they slash themselves appealing to their gods for grain and new wine that they turn away from me it's that whole orientation again
5: mm-hmm.
0: where are they crying out Where are we crying out? Where are we going when we are stuck in the pit? Are we in a pity party? Wailing in our beds? Or are we actually crying out from our heart to God? And again, it's that... I think it's so interesting, these two metaphors of the marriage and the parent relationship. Because of course, you long for that reconciliation.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: You long for that, and you want that more than anything else. And that's where God is, I think, he, God knew the power of those metaphors because we as humans would at least understand that longing a little bit.
7: I'm, I'm racking my brain. Is there a uh, story in the Bible of a great, marriage in the old testament is there a story of a successful non-betrayal non-hearty i don't think there is one i don't think that i think every noah i mean you think of all of every one of them blew it on a spectacular scale and yet the example is is bride and, and marriage and, and it's 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 the idea i think if there was a quote example then there's the pattern we have to follow and and we're as individual and as unique and as as a fingerprint and so there's no set pattern but there's several examples of how to lead astray there's several examples of how to fail because that's what we're going to do most of the time but i was i was thinking i mean even even you know mary and joseph there wasn't much about it and you don't even you only hear about mary later on and and uh, except for he was sweet and forgiving and, and kind and loving, but there wasn't much about their dynamic or or what it means, Bride of Christ. What what those, you know what I mean, it's, there's just those, those broad strokes, and that's just, I mean, it made me think in this, and I just wanted to, maybe I was missing one. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. I,
6: Jacob and Leah, not much is written, but you know that, he was devoted to her so much that he took marriage to her sister and waited another seven years to marry her, or whatever it was. Okay. Uh, so that would that would be an example of a good one. But to your point, there's not much written, right? Yeah.
7: But
0: I didn't even think of that. David was kind of a swirly kind of. He's like,
7: I got issue with that, that point. <laughs> but, <you laughs>
6: know, he was
1: tricky in youth and, and then he himself got yeah, tricked, right. right? So yeah, he, he got his come up and yeah. He had some father in law problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I'm cool. I think, Mike, I don't think we're
3: going to go for that relationship. I'm, 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 reaching. I'm reaching. <laughs> Is there any significance? And I may be grasping at straws here, but any significance to them asking for something that they don't need with a grain of the new wine? Like, I, I just imagine if they're, if they do have these illnesses, or you know, the within the poetry they have the sores and all this, and yet they're in bed asking their gods for grain and new wine, which may be a, a need, I don't I don't know. It, it just, of all the things mm-hmm. to ask for, they're asking for that, which seems odd to me. But it's not like
1: real healing. It's yeah. not a salve or some kind of grain. Yeah. they just want to be stuffed and drunk. That's yeah. what they yeah. want to be. They want
3: to be, you know...
0: They want to numb out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it,
3: it, it goes to, you know, they won't... Rather than deal with what is the root of the problem, they want to numb, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drag them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit, even if they bear children. I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed Him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Mm-hmm. That's just dark. Mm-hmm.
1: But you see that with the tree metaphor in chapter, like mm-hmm. Ephraim bears no fruit, mm-hmm. but you know it kind of prescribes what's going to happen at the end. With I guess, this
0: is where we are right now. Right. The, this is where, the reason I pulled this passage out is because it, it sort of lets us sit in the dark moment. Mm-hmm. This is where we are. This is, God has just cause for driving them out of the house, for killing their children, rejecting them totally, God has just cause for all of that, and yet, in 14, this is the last chapter, and I put the whole, the whole chapter on there, because I thought it was, again, I feel like this is the miracle of relationship, that oftentimes, I don't get to witness, but I'm hopeful that, you know,
7: can I say that makes me feel so strongly that, you know, when we say and we bear the sin no more in our songs and that, that you know, that Jesus doesn't see our, or that God doesn't see our sins that Jesus hasn't covered. And I, I would say that's not true. I would say that God can quickly love us, but he's hurt. You don't you don't love something as much as God loves us, and not be affected when we when we openly do wrong. And so we, we want to say that you know we bear we do bear the burden, we bear the consequence, but we don't. God doesn't. God still hurts, and we we can offend God, and we can you know what I mean. And I think that's important to remember. And it makes me feel sick, you know what I mean? And, and to think of the times that you go ahead and are rooting in traffic, you know what I mean? You have that hesitation and embrace it anyway or whatever, you know? So anyway, I just thought that made me think of that. Yeah. Thank you for doing that.
0: Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never say again, oh, we will never say again, our gods, to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless, find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your faithfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And I think what I hold close for this whole book for me is 14 verse 4, I will feel their waywardness. Because, man, I have a lot of hopelessness sometimes with my broken relationships. And, uh, as a recovering codependent person who thought I could rescue people myself and fix them, um, I can't. I just can't. I have to step back and say, actually, that's God's job. And my job is to be like the father in the story and Hosea and say, I am willing to love the person I am willing to love the, the person if they choose to be open to a relationship. But my job is not to heal them. And I think, so for me, coming full circle, and again, if you've had, like, several of you have sat in here with me before, and I don't normally answer my questions first. <laughs> <laughs> I normally let you all answer everything first. Um, but I felt, I, I felt like I should share this piece of me because it was so formative. For me, and because of the way I grew up in the church, there wasn't a lot of God loves you, and also your actions are hurtful, and also God loves you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of either God doesn't love you because you're a sinner or god loves you no matter what you do Mm -hmm. and i think that hosea says hosea has nuance right -hmm. hosea says yes god loves you and is here for you and ready for you yes we will always mess up me emily i will always mess up the point is where is my heart positioned
7: and it's so sweet that we had nothing to do with his heart. And yet, he was doing the Jesus thing long, long, long before Jesus. And yet, while they were still sinners, Jesus gave, or God gave them a way, his, his love, he defaults back to love, you know what I mean? There wasn't anything that they did. There wasn't somebody that flipped it and did their, oh, okay, that guy did it right so now I'm happy again. It all just defaulted back because they're, we're his babies, you know what I mean? And so that's cool, but... That God is uh, this is God and God is the God that gave you this is the the first example of Him His heart just opening up to us because of His heart not because of what we've done you know yeah absolutely
1: and I and I think that's important you know um, something Luda mentioned about Old Testament versus New Testament sometimes we have this problem of like separating God there's like the wrathful God in the Old Testament and um, then Jesus comes and it's all love and stuff. Um, and that, you know, there's a really old Christian heresy called Marcionism that that kind of comes from. Um, but a lot of people today kind of still kind of talk about the God of the Old Testament. But it's like you read this, and now it's the same God. Yes. And also you, you read the Gospels, and there's a lot of judgment there too. Yes, Jesus absolutely. is not just all lovey-dovey, and God isn't just all wrathful. It's a very consistent from... Genesis to Revelation the character of God um, doesn't change even though we might you know from what we learned in Sunday school growing up or something we have these two very different ideas of the New Testament and the Old Testament God pretty consistent
0: well I think we're almost out of time but does anyone want I answered this question already does anyone else want to answer
8: what promises have they have provided and what you might find hope? Uh, I'm not sure how this applies, but it, it just strikes me as um, I think you have to believe in God, and you have to believe in that power. And I had an example years ago of a Lord, the young lady, and the preacher and I, where she asked if she could come into the church, and she had an issue and to be healthy, and we said, well, we'll start out by praying. And she meant to listen. She want prayer. She won't you know. So then we had to go back to basics. We believe in God. we believe that you can't do it. Those kinds of things. And that's what I see here is somewhere along the line, you've got to convince somebody that God is the answer. And so, you know, that's where we work on Instead of saying, you know, I have this issue, can not be you help me fix it? you got to get them back to reading, uh, And that was part of I do not know it to this day what that is. Any other thoughts or comments? I guess one thing
0: I think
2: about is it is a marriage. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a lot of different in relationships, mm-hmm. but it does seem that it goes back to what Ed was talking about. That there, mm-hmm. there's, it's a deal with relationships with God. And then he puts it on this very personal level
3: of marriage. Mm-hmm.
5: Right.
3: It's a relationship. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's a relationship by choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, this doesn't go completely through, but you choose friends, and but with kids, it's you know, some some people may feel like, well, my parent has to love me because he gave birth to me, but with a marriage, that's a choice, mm-hmm. and and so I think that that may be one of the reasons why he does go to marriage is because. It's it's a choice on both sides for God. God doesn't have to love us. God doesn't have to come find us. It's a choice, and just as it's a choice for us to seek God, it's a, it's, it goes both ways. And both, of course, both images are
6: used to all the time. Right, right. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's there's a
3: duality there. Pointed out by using the marriage rather than parent-child. Which both are beautiful and both have their their needs that we understand that it, it is God is our Father, but at the same time we also have to choose that relationship, and that's the miracle.
0: Yeah.
1: I say it definitely tells us where we don't find our hope. <laughs> yeah. And that's in Assyria. <laughs> Whether that uh, means you know our patriotism and nationalism and citizenship, or you know our allegiance to. Various political figures or various political parties and movements. Um, Those may seem hopeful, right? You know, there's lots of people who get behind and say, this person is going to change everything. They're going to fix all of our problems, heal our sores. But I don't think the track record's very good when it comes to uh, political leaders really making a big difference. And it's
0: it's not in... A child, and it's not in a spouse. hmm
1: Yeah, that's
0: yes. Like the those relationships will never fulfill mm-hmm. us the way that God will fulfill us. Not in politics. Not in our spouse. Not in our children. So <clears throat> next week, Nativity and the Prophets. I think that's our last class. That's right? our
1: last
0: one. Yeah. So hope you'll join us next week. And thank you for being here.